0: International.
1: Hey, welcome, welcome to another lovely episode of The Listening Room. It's me, Joey Zimmerman, your host here for Storytime. Got a great episode here to drop for you all. This was actually our one-year anniversary show. So thanks, everyone, who's uh, listened in online or came to the live show. If you've never been uh, and you live here in Austin, we're usually at Genuine Joe's Coffeehouse the second Saturday of every month, 8 p.m., free. Come on out if you haven't yet. Uh, this episode we got a great lineup and great stories going on. We have uh, Pat Dean on the episode, who's the Booker owner of runs the Velveeta Room downtown. Want to see comedy downtown? Go check out the Velveta Room. Uh, we have Jay Whitecotton, really talented comedian, also here in Austin. Melody Schifflet, very talented comedian in town, and Donna Bergweis, who uh, co-hosts the Mountain Dude vs Dorita Girl video game podcast, also on Body Tape International. We'd like like video games and reviews and chit chat about uh you know video games and what's hot listen to that podcast give it a check out we got episodes of uh on this on this episode we got stories of uh, some violence some burglaries uh Jay shares a story about his crazy family Pat shares stories about crazy people he works with and Melody shares a story about a crazy relationship her mom has with a friend Um, I got a good one on there as well so peep the episode thank you guys so much for checking us out And have a lovely, lovely time. Peace out, y'all. Bye-bye. Yeah,
2: listening room. How we doing, everyone? What's going on? How's everyone's night, huh? Going great. Yeah, that is what's up. Thank you guys so much for coming out. Um, My name is Joey Zerman. This is the listening room. Uh, This is a storytelling show. You can find online, iTunes at Stitcher, produced by Body Tape International. Um, What happened is, well, I'm a comedian here in town. If you don't know me, hi, I'm Joey. Um, But I have a lot of stories that didn't really necessarily fit with what I want my stand-up to be. So I created this storytelling show. And as it's evolved, I've started having on some more unique guests, musicians, screenplay writers, filmmakers, other comedians, improvisers. Uh, So it's just grown to be this whole big collection of... uh, Fun stories and experiences that you can come to the live show and hang out and then peep online uh, for the ones that you haven't missed. Um, It's pretty simple. I get four or five of my good friends to come up here, share some stories. Um, Some of them uh, may strike a chord with anyone, so please don't heckle any of my friends that I bring up here. Um, Some of them are comedians, so they could swing something back at you that could make you sound pretty foolish. And then that's recorded online, so everyone who peeps in will hear you sounding like a fool online forever for all eternity, as long as that digital fossil will, will be around. So yeah, so, sound good? We're going to chill some stories, and you guys going to be chilling to hang out. Sound good? Yeah, good. Um, and I usually kick it off with the first story. You guys ready to go? Yeah, straight through the heart of the sun. Here we go. Um, this story takes place. I'm not originally from here. I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, well, I, I lived, I uh, grew up in a small town called Wahoo, Nebraska, which sounds like it's straight from a Dr. Seuss book, but I swear it's a real place. Um, I moved to Lincoln when I was 18 years old for school, and this story has to do about a place, one of my favorite places I've ever lived at in my life. Um, I lived at this place that is a house, um, and I lived underneath the stairs in a little Harry Potter room for like a hundred bucks a month. It was so cheap and so good. I lived there um, with my friend Mamie, who graduated a year ahead of me in school, her friend Jane, same age, and uh, her brother Patrick. And I remember The first time I paid rent, I just had to go to Mamie's dad's house with a $100 check to drop it off, and I get there, and I handed it to him, and he's like, thank you, and he's like, so what are your intentions with my daughter? And I was like, nothing, man, like, I just live, I'm just living here, man, because it's cheap and it's good. Uh, She's like, we used to bartend together at the little golf course that was back in Oahu, so she was like a sister to me, so it was like nothing, like nothing, like I was just like, it's just a good spot to live, man, it's nothing. I remember when we first moved into, this was kind of like a party house, too. I first knew it from like sophomore, junior, senior year, starting to party more in high school. Uh, we would drive up from Wahoo to this house in Lincoln, because Mamie's uh, older brother then lived there, and we called it base. it was known as base. Whenever something bad went down, everyone's like, go back to base. (laughs) And we travel from downtown to go back to the house and hang out. There's a lot of stuff that's been happening in that house. This one time, people got drunk and they fired off a gun in the house and went through a wall. Uh, This one time, my friend Adam, who he ran track uh, for UNL, and he tried a couple times for being the Olympics to be in the trials for the Olympics and he was training. This dude's really fast. He ran the 100 meters dash, so he's really fast. This, I forgot, I don't know, for the life of me, I don't remember what happened, but one time Adam got so drunk, he got paranoid that something was happening at the house, or like the cops were coming or something, he just took off. He just <laughs> ran away and no one could catch him. Cause he was literally the fastest dude anyone knew. And we lost him for like a couple hours and he eventually peered back like on the porch, just sitting there drinking a beer like two hours later, like really sweaty. And we're like, where'd you go, man? He's like, I actually don't know. I don't know at all. <laughs> this place, it was it's kind of run down and like the grass was like up to my shoulders. Like it was some tall ass grass for this house. My buddy Pat he, the other roommate, Mamie's brother, he tried to mow it with an old school mower, like the little blades churning thing. It took him a week to mow the whole damn field. And we would always play in it and parties. We'd jump in it and like hide and seek with people. Um, it was such a good house. We, uh, <laughs> this, was, this was also uh, during uh, psychedelic phase, Joey. Uh, I was making a lot of t- tie dye, and I had dreadlocks in my hair. That's, so this is a little who I was at that point. Um, and those girls, they kind of like the same <laughs> that plur culture, I guess. Here about um, just pretty lights and swing and play, really. They they had a lot of hula hoops, and there is this uh, field across from our house, just like this open lot that a house wasn't in yet. And my friend Mamie, she would always just uh, go out there with a boombox and her hula hoop and just practice out there for a while. And uh, there's like different sizes of hula hoops for different tricks and whatnot. So she brought a bunch of them out there and she was doing tricks. And this was in like a little neighborhood, a little suburb. Um, These little kids started seeing her do all these tricks and hanging out. And it grew gradually. Like one day, like one little girl came out there just to like watch. And then next day was like two people. By like the end of like three weeks, my friend Mamie was teaching like a hula hoop class (laughs) to all these little kids who were hanging out with like the different sized hula hoops they were like trying to twirl it around. And I would just sit out on the curb and I'd watch um, and I'd do some riding and hanging out. And this one time, uh, this uh, this, father figure from one of the daughters he came he's like he slowly saw it and he slowly came over and he sat down by me and he's like, That's uh see that little girl, girl there, in the purple dress? That's that's my daughter. I was like, Oh fun, glad she's hula hooping having a good time He's like, Yeah, it's nice And he looks at me, and he's like, Do you know where I could buy a little weed? <laughs> it's like It's like fit the description perfectly. Some dude in dreads watching everybody hula hoop. He's like and I did, I saw that guy week <laughs> twice. <last. laughs> and then felt really weird about it. And then stopped. <laughs> uh one of the one one altercation that kinda helped bring us together as uh, as uh, me, Mamie and Jane, uh as like better friends. I worked downtown at this bar. Um and uh I worked down there with me, it was my me and my buddy Benny who was always, who was working at, working there. And this day I finally noticed something. he told me something new about himself, Benny. He's this dude he's this big dude with tattoos, he has these big spade tattoos on his elbows, always wears black. And he always has like this black uh kerchief hanging out of his back pocket and with a chain. I thought it was just for like to complete like the whole look or whatnot. Uh, one day he showed me, he's like we got in a conversation, he was like, if anybody does something, I'm gonna have to bring out my smiley. I was like, what on earth could possibly be your smiley? And he pulls out his handkerchief and knotted at the end of it. It's just a big, like a master lock thing. He said it's meant for swinging around and kicking some ass if that ever has to become a thing. Um, this one night we closed up the bar uh, we were cleaning and whatnot, and uh, it was. Uh, Mamie, Mamie hit me up because she was. They drove down there and they were both trashed, and this was before Lincoln got Uber <laughs> or he trusted taxis or whatnot. And they're like, "Hey, could you give us a ride back to the house after you get off work?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure. Come on down to the bar while we clean. Uh, you can just can just like hang out or whatnot." And as they were like coming over this dude um, started, like, following them and, like, catcalling them and being, like, pretty aggressive. And he... I didn't see him because I was in the back trying to, like, clean his shit, but when I got... Because the doors of the bar, it's, like, three-ish now. The doors are locked to the bar. By the time I got around to the front, I saw my two friends out there, um, but then I saw this dude who was there, and he was, like... They were like trapped up against like a pole and he was like groping at them and like touching them sexually, like grabbing their asses and like saying stuff and they were really scared. And I was like, hey, you got it. Like, I unlocked it. I was like, come in here. Like, what? Get the fuck out of here, dude. Get out of here. Um, so I brought them in. That guy didn't leave. He just kind of stayed out there and like washed. He was just like shouting at the bar. Um,. This is also this isn't a story I'm not necessarily proud of, per se. Um, so I, I, got, I we were closing up, and I was like, maybe you won't be out there anymore when we're leaving. Um, and I couldn't see him out of the glass, and I took my friends out, we went around the block, and sure enough, here this guy comes again around the corner. And I tried to like bow up a little bit, but you know uh, for our listeners and people who haven't met me online, I'm, I'm not the strongest dude. <laughs> I look like I'm straight out of like a Tim Burton movie. (laughs) So I tried to bow up a little bit like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like go away, like get out of here. He started being like aggressive towards me now, like pushing me, um, like hitting me. And I took us kind of like around like the block again. And then I got my phone out and I texted my friend Benny who was still there at the bar. And I told him, like, hey, man, there's a guy who's following me and my friends, and he's being aggressive and sexually aggressive to the point where it, something needs to happen. Can you come outside here and use your smiley? So I took them back around. Went in front, There's, like, an alley that goes behind the bar. He's, like, once I see you guys pass around the front and I see him, we'll look through the window, like, give a nod, and I'll come back around so I cut around go back throughout the front of the bar and he sees me and he sees the guy following us who's still like grabbing at us and trying to like hold on to the girls um and he goes back and I lead him through the the alley where where Benny is he's out there just smoking a cigarette like leaning up against the wall and we walk like uh three and he's like he's like holding on to my friend Jane on the side and when we get past Benny we push him off, and Benny just takes one swing with his smiley and just knocks the dude in the head, and he falls to the ground. And then we just keep kind of walking faster a little bit, and he hit him a couple good amount of times, man. Like, he just kept going. And then after that day, I, I, I asked Benny about a little bit. He's like, oh, he was hurt, but he walked away, got him. And I was like, I'm not sure the extent of how much the damage was done. But it was, a very, it was a very interesting situation. It brought us both closer together as roommates and friends and people who want to like protect one another. And I do feel a little like remorse about it for <laughs> like combating a sort of violence with another aggressive form of violence. But there's some different questions that get raised in you know, today's society with like how you can handle situations. And it was like the only thing I thought of at the time to make it help go away, to solve it. And I did solve it. Don't know where that guy is, but I hope maybe he learned his lesson and he's not an asshole anymore. (laughs) And that's going to do it for my first story of the night. Thank you guys so much for letting me share. Thank you, thank you. Are you guys ready for your next performer of the night? Yeah, hell yeah, she's awesome. Uh, She also helps produce this podcast for me. She's co-member of Body Tape International and also hosts uh, the show Mountain Dude versus Dorito Girl, to podcasts where they uh, rate video games, talk about video games. Do you like video games? Give that stuff a, a look. She also does so many more podcasts. You can look her up when you when you uh, see her work. Everybody, please give a warm welcome to Donna Bergwoyce. Hey, guys. <laughs> How's it going? Good.
3: Oh,
1: great.
3: So, much like Joey, I actually am also not from here originally. I am from Michigan, and similarly, I spent uh, my formative years when I was in college in a small town called Ypsilanti. Um, It's a, a college town, so, you know, like the normal, when school's in session, there's a whole bunch of people there, and when school's out of session, it's like a ghost town. Um when i was going to college i worked at a restaurant it was a little diner and we had um, like you know greek salads and trashy breakfast food and coney dogs all like the good stuff to soak up all the booze that you drank you know so uh i used to work the midnight shifts three days a week, and then two days a week, I'd work, like, the morning shifts. The midnight shifts started at, like, 10 p.m., and then they would go until 8 in the morning. Like, it was a long (laughs) fucking night. Uh, And one year, it fell on Halloween, and I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to make so much money if all these, like, shitty college kids remember to pay their bills, I'm going to make so much money. So I get into work, and I, like, have a cup of coffee. I'm sitting down. I have a little bit before the night starts, and um, the restaurant is, like, a hallway. It's really similar to this. It seats about 30 people, just booths on either side, and the only two people that are working any shift during any time of the day is a server and a cook, and that's it. In the hallway, much like this, there's a door for the entrance, and then there's a back door that leads to an alleyway where we keep like the garbage and shit. Well, I was sitting down and I'm having my coffee, and I'm like prepping myself for you know the night and hoping that I'm gonna make big tips. And uh, one of our regulars comes in, Steve, and he was a very interesting character. He was drunk ninety nine percent of his life I assume I just assume like he was drunk when he was born. But he he would come into the restaurant and on really busy nights he would come through the back of the restaurant and he would wash our dishes for us. So like if we were getting slammed it was awesome. I'd give him, you know, a couple bucks or whatever I had for my tips and he would help us out with the dishes and everything. So I get everything prepped, we start our night, and it's like a murder. Like, it is busy as shit. There are drunk kids from 10 p.m. through the entire night. Finally, at 4, 4.30 in the morning, it finally starts to slow down. We have about 15 people in the restaurant. And me and the cook, my good friend, we sit down, and we're just like, Oh, God, thank you, Lord sit down for a minute we're just collecting ourselves I get up and I start to go clean off the tables make sure everyone's good and no one's like puked all over their food and shit you know so I mean it's a mess (laughs) so I'm standing at the end of the bar and I'm just grabbing some things out of the fridge and I see someone come through the back of the restaurant wearing a mask now, it's Halloween night, so that's not really that unusual, right? And I thought, for sure, Steve is going to be coming through the bath to help me with the dishes. And I'm like, this this is great. Steve's here. I'm just going to go sit down. Everything's going to be fine. So I go sit down by my friend. And Steve comes up to the register, pops it open, and just starts grabbing cash. And I, I'm like... Damn, Steve is aggressive. Like, I normally tip him pretty good. This is... Those are some balls on Steve. Well, the the cook, he's uh, much more composed than I am. He gets up and he says, hey, man, like, what, what are you doing? Can I help you with something? He reaches for the guy, and the guy stabs him in the stomach. And much like your reaction, I, I was blown away. I, I just, I had no idea what to do. So the week prior to that, my cell phone was stolen at the same restaurant. So it's, it's a good part of town. Michigan is a great place. <laughs> so I'm, I, I just panic. I have no idea what to do. The guy, fake Steve, that's stealing all of the money out of the drawer, the sad my friend is standing right where the phone for the restaurant is. So I can't get to the phone to call 911. So I just start screaming at these drunk kids, someone call 911, we have to get out of here. Everyone get out, call 911. If you if you think like teaching a child how to read is difficult or having a conversation with a moron is challenging, (laughs) trying to corral twenty fated as fuck college kids is nearly impossible. Finally, these kids start rushing out of the restaurant. They're freaking out and there's like, you know glitter just falling on the floor and fairy wings left in booths. it's Wild we all get outside my my cook. I'm talking to him. I'm asking if he's okay, and he's just spitting out blood I mean it was like it was like what you see on TV. It was disgusting and terrifying He's spitting out blood on the sidewalk. I'm like, I don't sit down. I, I was a lifeguard. Like, I'm not trained for this. <laughs> he sits down on the sidewalk. Someone finally is calling 911, and they're just like, oh, I'm drunk. There's people puking on the other side of the sidewalk. It was intense. I run around the corner because he came through the back, and I, you know, I had been working at this restaurant for two or three years at this point. I know that the alleyway only has one out, and it leads to the sidewalk. This restaurant's right on the corner of this strip of buildings. So I, I run over to the side. I want to try and see this guy and see where he's going. And the guy is on a bike now, and he's just rushing towards me and, like, four other people that were in the restaurant. And I, I don't know what's going on. I just grab them and push them back. And then he's gone, and he, like, throws off a jacket and, like, is just fucking gone. Eventually, the cops show up. They get there about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes too late, as cops always do, it seems. Uh, so the cops eventually get there. They're taking statements from all of these drunk kids. I do leave my opinions about police out of this, but... <laughs> They're taking statements from these just super faded college kids. Like, that's not a credible source, you know? I've watched Law & Order a couple of times. I know how the legal system works, right? So these cops are walking around taking statements. I'm like, please, please talk to me. I, I am sober. I work here. I know exactly what happened. I was standing right there. Finally, I have to go to, like, three different police officers, and finally one of them lets me... Give them my statement, and he jots it down. And he's like, "Okay, well this this is an actual good, usable statement. So here's the card for my detective, and I've got your phone number. This is the case number. We're gonna call you soon, and whatever it happens next." I'm like, "Okay, I, all right, great." My friend, meanwhile, he's in an ambulance on his way to the hospital. If you're not related to someone and trying to find out where your friend is after they've been in an accident through the hospital is a complete ordeal <laughs> in and of itself. Uh, that's a nightmare. So all these kids, you know, all these drunk kids dispersed throughout the city. Who knows what happens? I'm sure they have a wild story to tell people the next day, right? <laughs> I'm so hungover. I saw someone die. I think, right? I almost got killed by a dude on a bicycle. No idea. I puked in my omelet. So, uh, so that night, I, I go back into the restaurant to see what kind of damage is done and to try and call the owners, uh, and the phone starts ringing. I'm just like, what? what the fuck, right? Like, why is the phone ringing? Doesn't everyone know immediately that we've just been robbed? Like, what the fuck, you know? So I pick up the phone and it's my friend who owns uh, a local business, a coffee shop that everyone used to hang out at and he's like, hey um, can I get an order of chicken strips and, and just like, Zach? No, what the fuck? No, he, I, We just got robbed, like my pat just got stabbed, I he's at the hospital, I don't know what's going on, this shit's crazy, and he's like, fuck are you for real right now? I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm for real right now. I'm so real right now. <laughs> He's like, damn, that's crazy, because I just called Abe's, the Coney Island on the other side of town, and they just got robbed, and someone there just got stabbed. Oh. And I'm like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? How did this happen? Why, why aren't... I'm like, dude, I know. I've seen so much Law & Order. I know. <laughs> I know. That these two things are connected you guys I know it <laughs> now my job is all crime right so I go find out where my friend is finally I go to the hospital he's okay he's in emergency surgery the knife just skimmed his stomach uh, I mean he was it was a rough patch for him uh, I Go home. I, I can't sleep. I mean I I couldn't sleep. I was absolutely terrified. It's The nightmares that you have after something like that are Intense you're constantly replaying what happened and you're trying to figure out how you can fix it and there isn't there isn't a way, you know Sometimes you just have to move past that and accept it and move forward and just understand that that's a thing that happened to you so a couple days pass, and I get a call from the police, and they're like, "Hey, we want to bring you back down and review your statement. Also, we have one of the sketch artists at the at the property or at the um, police station, and since you are the only one that really saw this guy's face, we want you to try and do a sketch." I'm like, "Uh, oh, okay. I, again, you know, law and order school is really paying off right now." So I go down to the police station and I'm just like, oh, I hate it here. This is the worst place in the world, right? I go in and I sign in. I go into this like really sterile, bizarre, concrete library room and I sit down at the desk and I'm just like, great. Like, am I going to be told that I stabbed my friend now? Because like, there's <laughs> no one in here. I don't know how this stuff works really, outside of law and order, of course. And uh, in comes a police officer who just so happened to be a regular of the restaurant. He ordered a ham and cheese omelet with hash browns, side of grape jelly, and two coffees. And his partner would always order two eggs, sunny side up, rye toast, and a glass of orange juice. I served these guys, like, every day for years. So the guy sits down. I'm like, I had no idea you were a sketch artist. That's actually interesting. (laughs) Not killing regular civilians. That's tight. Tell me about being a sketch artist. And he's like, oh, well, you know, you just flip through this book and you pick out the things and, uh, you know, we piece it together. So we sit there and I'm there for like, I don't know, four hours Going through these various books and picking out the different eyes, and we had to readjust it. You know, this was before there were tablets and things, so there wasn't like a program that you could use to just kind of plop things down. He has to draw it, and then if it doesn't work out right, then you have to erase it and go back again. Um, I learned that day that I have a super photographic memory. I have like Polaroids in my brain. I'm fucking amazing, you guys. <laughs> we finish the sketch, and they get plastered all over town, right? And on the the looking for whatever the warning poster, uh, it also says that this dude is tied into this stabbing at Abe's Coney Island, the other Coney Island across town, dude. I'm solving crimes, okay? <laughs> so. Pat, my friend, that got sad, he's fine, he gets out of the hospital, he's living with me now, we're roommates, we a year has passed since this incident. I still like can't go out for Halloween, you know. It's just I I finally, after a few months, like finally was able to sleep again. I quit the job, had to go restart my entire life, basically. I mean, it was a rough patch for a minute. Uh so Pat's living with me. And he's like, hey, I got a call from the detective the other day, and he said that they think that they found the guy. But I don't remember. I never saw his face without the mask, so, like, I can't do anything. But they're going to start, like, the proceedings pretty soon. So probably, like, keep your phone on. You're going to get a call from this guy. I'm like, all okay, right, well, it's fucked up. I don't know. You know, I have a new job now. I'm like, I, whatever. So, uh a couple days pass and I get a call and they're like, Hey, can you come down to the station? We want you to try and do a lineup. I'm just like, What, this is a real thing that actually happens? Like I didn't I thought that was like TV magic. So I go to the police station and I do a lineup and it's terrifying. Like in all the procedurals, they always say like they can't see you or hear you on the other side of the glass, you know? And I'm like, oh yeah, no shit. Like, Chris can't fucking see you, idiot, on the TV. I'm up there and I'm just like, ah, ah. <laughs> so <laughs> I do the lineup. The guy looks exactly like my drawing. I mean, it's like, it is scary how much he looks like the drawing. I'm not to my own horn, you know. But he looked fucking very good. Uh, like a drunk. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> so, uh, so we get this guy, and they're like, okay, well, crazy. That's the right guy. All the evidence matches with him. We found his jacket. We got his hairs on the jacket. You know, we did all the CSI shit. We're enhancing stuff, like, regularly right now. And I'm like, great. Uh, so... See it again never then, I guess, right? It's, it's over. I'm going to continue to move on with my life. Uh, and I do for, like, a week. And then they're like, hey, guess what? We got the guy now, and we have our case bill, so now we need you to come to court, and we need you to testify that, against this guy. Now, this, I guess, is, like, the time in a Law & Order episode where I've completely zoned out. I don't remember... The trial portion of shit I just want to see like the crime stuff I guess I don't realize that I need to go on The stand and point To a guy that stabbed My friend and stabbed Someone in another restaurant In the same city right And chance that this guy might get out Uh that's a very Scary thing (laughs) that is a very Scary thing to do But I did it I went on On trial it was terrifying and weird and I hope that I never have to do it again. Um, I don't really have a lesson about this. It was just a crazy (laughs) shitty thing that happened to me (laughs) and my friends. Uh, So hope it never happens to y'all.
2: Give (laughs) it up for Tyler one more time. Everyone! be safe out there. It's crazy. Uh, your next uh, performer, very talented comedian here in Austin. He runs a show at Spider House Ballroom, the first Monday of every single month, called Shit's Golden. Everybody give it up for Pat Dean. <laughs> oh,
4: man. man, my story is also about working in a restaurant. Uh, it's not nearly as exciting as getting stabbed, so I'm really happy to follow that story. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So this is a story about the weirdest restaurant I ever worked at. In my life, I have to change some of the, uh, the names and the location and everything. Um, this is one of those places where, when I worked there for three years, I didn't know how weird of a place it was until right before I quit. When I looked around and was like, this is the weirdest fucking group of people. There was a dude that we worked with named Patrick. His name was also Patrick. He was like a food runner or whatever. And I'd be talking to tables. And he just walk up, interrupt. And be like, oh, yeah, my name's Patrick, too. We're brothers. <laughs> we weren't brothers at all. And even if we were, we both wouldn't be named Patrick. Patrick, you fucking idiot. So he was fired because he was bad at his job, number one. Uh, number two, he lived in the woods. And, like, not, like, on the ground. And number three, he tried to sell the executive chef Vicodin. And, Yeah, you can't do that. Those three things. You're like, you know what? No, any of these things is pretty weird, but all three together, you fucking, you gotta go now. You can't ever come back. Um, it was, it was, it was a very interesting place to work at uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, everybody in the back of the house, like all the cooks, they're all Iraqi refugees. They're all like people who were like engineers or whatever, or like they they, were, they worked as translators for like the U.S. Army and shit, and once it's found out you do that, you have to leave, or they kill everyone in your family. And it was a very, like, inter- it was weird, because you think you have problems, right? You talk to some of these dudes, and you're like, oh, man, so, you know, what, what brought you here to Austin? They're like, oh, man. I just remember, uh, it was wintertime. And, uh, that's when it got really bad. The soldiers came in, put my uncle against the wall, Put a bullet in the back of his fucking head, and the blood pattern looked like a rose. And every time I see a rose, I think about what it meant to be in Iraq in the wintertime. What about you? I'm like, I just wanted to tell jokes. (laughs) So cool, glad we ended up in the same place. Interesting. (laughs) Um, Good to meet you. Uh, a lot of the dudes, a lot of the busses are from Algeria, and these guys were the funniest fucking people I've ever met in my life. Uh, one of them was a dude named Asadine. Uh His first name means I Love Islam. His last name means chicken. And I thought that was the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was the smartest dude ever. I would do his English homework for him. Like, he would bring in English homework. And he'd be like, hey, can you help me out with this? And I'm like, sure. And I would just do it all for him. is like that the easiest thing ever? But he was so impressed that I was good at it. Like, like, like one day he was like, all right, we're going to learn idioms today. I'm like, He so was like, what about the straw that broke the camel's back? What does that mean? And I explained to him, that's when a bunch of little things, you know, stack up and then cause a big calamity. It was like God, you're so smart. <laughs> no, I just the only language I know how to speak, dude. Like, <laughs> I figured it out pretty easily. Uh, my favorite memory of him ever is that one day uh, I came into work and he was watching football on the bar TV screens. He had never seen football ever. He didn't, he didn't know what Christmas was. Is that interesting? Like it was his first Christmas ever in America. And this was in the in the domain. And this was where like they had these all these Christmas decorations up and it was like this huge crazy thing. And I was like, Do you do you know what Christmas is? He's like, I mean, I know what he's like, and basically said, I know that it's a holiday, I don't really know exactly the details. So I explained to him it's when there it was uh, this lady and uh, you know, she was a virgin and then she became pregnant with the son of God, and then she gave birth in a stable and now that's kind of the story of Christmas I told him that story and he just looks so confused and he just goes it's not true I was like probably not. I don't know what do you want me to say that's what we do dude I don't know Uh, he didn't know what football was and the exact phrase he said to me this is seared into my fucking brain is he turns around and he sees me and he points to the football game and he goes how to play I cannot understand which is just an incredible sense. I love that. <laughs> he wrote a poem to this girl that we that we worked with. This was a lady uh, no, sorry, her her cousin worked with us. She wasn't actually in America yet. Uh, and he ended up marrying this lady. Uh, but they were dating and it was a secret. And like he wasn't supposed to be telling. Him. He was like, You can't tell him Did that me and her have like our, our thing. Can't tell. I d I I don't truthfully I don't really know why. And yeah, I was like, well, okay, how long have you been dating this girl for? They had been dating for seven years, and no one knew. It was a mystery. It was fucking weird, dude. So we <laughs> were never allowed to talk about it. But he wrote a poem for in English. Uh, his English was pretty good. Um, he can read English a lot better than he can actually speak it. But he can speak it if you have a conversation with you and stuff. But this poem is the greatest poem I've ever heard in my life. Because it's, it's weirdly sweet until the last line absolutely ruins it. So here's the poem. And I have this recorded, but I, I, I've watched it so many times I have it memorized. Here's the poem.
0: <laughs>
4: you are the sun. You make me shine. More like the twinkles at night. You are the moon closing my heart. You're my daytime, my nighttime, Baby.
0: <laughs> That's the poem.
4: It's so. It's kind of nice. And then it's just baby. All right, all right, Venus and Butthead, calm down. Wrong with you. I worked. Uh, there was dude. God, worked. I just there was this dude Carlos that worked there, and um, two times he yeah, he eventually got fired uh, because two times he fucked up taking somebody's order and they were allergic to something and two times they got sent to the hospital and I just remember the GM, this guy John saying to him, look, Carlos you're a nice guy, you can't keep doing
0: this
4: (laughs) you can't keep sending people to the hospital because of your incompetence It's an amazing thing everyone I worked with was a fucking weirdo dude like it was, there was like there was like nine Uh, gay dudes who worked that I worked with, they're all like servers and stuff And they all... Here's the deal. There's like a certain group, gay dudes, who are buying what I am selling. Like, they have Groupons for this shit. They love it. I don't quite get it either, but I was very popular at that restaurant. (laughs) It got to the point where I literally knew who was like grabbing my ass from behind and he was like massaging my shoulders from behind like that would happen and I'd be like oh Frank's here okay cool Frank's a pretty good worker and I told that story to somebody one time and she was like well did that ever give you like did you ever like have that happen and be like oh now I understand like what women go through in the workplace and I was like no I just thought it was hilarious like I never gave a shit Grab, you can grab my ass right now. I don't give a shit. You know, we're friends. We just smile at each other. Hello, Frank. Good to see you. We move on. Uh, and it's funny, like, you hear a lot about, like, white male privilege in America, and I feel like the epitome of white male privilege is being sexually harassed at work and just thinking it's really funny. You know, like, it's kind, of, kind of fucked up if you think about it. Um, the, the weirdest dude that I work with, uh, I gotta change his name because this guy's a fucking drug addict. Uh this is guy, we uh, call oh, Chris. Chris has worked in restaurants his entire life. His entire, that's all he's done. Since he was a teenager, he was in his uh, 50s when I was... It's like literally like probably 40, 35 to 40 years. And this guy was a fucking crazy person. He was absolutely insane. He was so good at his job, but he was a crazy person. And I loved working with him. I It's weird because... I can do impressions of people I've worked with I can't do impressions of anybody famous and it fucks me so bad because my impression of Corey this guy that I worked with at my current job four years ago you would think it was him but you guys don't know do you guys know Corey? <laughs> <laughs> so I can't do the fucking impression it's really infuriating but I could do an impression of Chris someone said his real name very very well he was like four and a half feet tall in his fifties I he had a voice like this uh, that was his voice voice was just ruined from years of just drugs and cigarettes and just fucking hate and he would laugh all the time all the time one day we went in, in the morning and we set up like the line like the kitchen line it took us about 20 minutes to set it up he laughed the entire time and not a word was spoken like literally he just sat there laughing at nothing he was a drug addict he would like come in the morning all like coked up and he set everything up mostly by himself I loved working with this guy <laughs> And then he'd go home, take a break, smoke a lot of pot, and then come back and be, like, all weird and mellow and weird. So it was, like, a different level of, like, drugs every single time that I saw him. After he stopped working there, he came back to, like, have a drink. And he talked to my friend, uh, Tony Bananas. And he called him Tony Bananas because when he lived in Brazil, one time he jacked off with a banana peel.
0: And now he's Tony Bananas. So
4: he was talking to Tony B., and he said to him, yeah, I found this new drug. It's called meth. Oh. Keeps your dick hard for days. My wife hates it. Like, oh, my God. There's so many weird things there. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a new drug, first of all. I think you guys have heard of this. Uh, he, so he would say the weirdest shit to me ever, ever. It was always in passing. He'd say something weird, walk past me. I don't know what it meant. Uh, he, one time, I was, I, I saw him six days a week, we were, I worked on eight shifts a week over six days I saw him every single one of those shifts I saw him more than anyone I was related to more than anyone that I was friends with anyone that I, that I loved I know nothing about this guy because he would give me nothing one day I asked him hey, like, what's the last movie you saw? He's like, I don't see movies. What's the point? They never happened. And like, I get what he's saying, but what a weird way to put it, right? Like, Fucking so weird. The weirdest dude. So I, I started uh, a Twitter feed. Years, I haven't updated this in five years. Years ago, these are all quotes that this guy had said to me. Now again, I don't know what any of these things mean. These are all things that he would say to me and then walk away. And he laughed the same way every time he laughed. This is Cliff's laugh. (laughs) 100% real quotes. Johnny Heatstroke, (laughs) ha ha, the brain, crack daddy, white sacks along the tracks. (laughs) Who's that mean? four letters B-E-S-T best I've got a cow around the corner (laughs) (laughs) he didn't (laughs) the average age of a Vietnam soldier was (laughs) 19 (laughs) dude I don't know I don't know this is just stuff to each say so I'm walking and he just goes 19 as I walk past him I'm like okay I guess Jimmy Cornmeal Jimmy Cornmeal Jimmy Cornmeal Forget the water, I'll just drink cheese Can I get a lemon with that? Six pack, like juicy fruit H2OFamily.com We have to recycle our water and drink it. Hold the fruit. (laughs) Two more. This guy fucking rolled. By the way, if you're wondering who are the people handling your food, it's me and this fucking guy. (laughs) Couldn't get laid because I was walking the dog. What a bitch. (laughs) So I guess the moral of the story... Is don't work in restaurants because you're gonna end up like Mean Cliff. So thank you guys for coming out. I'll just enjoy that up here. Thank
2: you. seeing everyone live here at one time. Hell oh, yeah yeah that's good. How's everyone doing? Oh need some beers? You me some beers? Need mm-hmm. some beers? Nothing? You want You want one? No you're good. Anyone need some beers? I'll walk around give them. No no one wants my economy class Lone Star. I see how it is listening room. <laughs> That's good. How you guys feeling though? Ready for your next performer, huh? Absolutely. Hell yeah. She's super talented, one of my favorite comedians here in Austin. Uh, if you're hanging around here in the city, she'll be at Buzz Mill uh, for East Riverside on Wednesday. Very talented. Everyone give it up for
5: Melody Schifflin. <laughs> What's up? Uh, do we have any bitches in the audience? <laughs> Where are what bitches at? Want some
3: bitches?
5: What's up? Yeah. (laughs) I'm a bitch. Um, No, I... Do you guys remember the first time that you got called a bitch in, like, a good way? Yeah. Yeah. It happens later, you know? Like, you don't get that until later. You get the mean bitch up front, and then you get the good bitch later. Um, So I grew up with my single mom, and my sisters, and we would use bitch at home, but we wouldn't call each other bitches, like, my mom, this is how my mom talks, she's like, and then some bitch walks in, and she's all fucking dressed up like this, you know, this bitch, and I'm like, uh, my mom has no boundaries, she has no filter, she doesn't care that she's talking to her own children, she just talks like that, um, and she she kinda I think she thinks that we grew up in like a summer camp together. Like she just that's that's her boundary level is like like for example we had um, a sock basket for the house. It's called the sock basket. Go look for socks in the sock basket. They're everyone's socks. There's my mom's socks, there's my baby socks in there. Just go look in the sock basket. Um my mom is just, she's she's not a grown-up, you know? She's just not a grown-up. She's very sad and depressed. And we would kind of have to, like, work with that, you know? Um, like, she wouldn't want to get out of beds in the weekends, you know? Uh, she would just want to sleep in the whole time. So the way that we would coax her out of bed is to make breakfast for her, so about by, like, noon. Um, we would put a little breakfast together and try to coax her out of her room, out of her depression nap. And um, one morning we set the kitchen on fire. I mean, it wasn't like a big fire, but it was like scary because I was little. Like, so this paper towel caught fire and I smacked it with a spatula. And I, like, turn around, and my little sister had the hose from the sink. Like, she was going to go for like, across the, like, and it just comes out this far. Like, she was, I don't know what she was thinking. Um, And, you know, like, I saw the woman Louise when I was, like, eight. You know? Just, like, that level of inappropriate. She just has no boundaries. Um, So I'm 13, and uh, my mom decides to open up her house to her friend Brett. And, um, Brett is gay. Brett is gay! You know? I'm saying, like, Brett is gay, you know? Like, that old-school gay. Like, that Judy Garland, like, thick-makeup gay, you know? Like, that kind of gay dude. Um, and, uh, he was... He had one-and-a-half arms. And, uh... I, I want to say he's missing an arm. He's not really missing an arm. Um... What happened was, so in the 70s, um, his dad was a football coach, which is like, you're killing me, right? <laughs> like a like, flamboyant gay dude with a football coach, dad, come on with the tropes. And uh, so they used to play this game where uh, the big industrial washer that would wash all of the uniforms and equipment, uh, in the 70s, when you open it, it doesn't stop. And uh, they played this game called Touch the Middle, and they would play this game. Him and his brothers touch the middle of the washing machine. Well, um, Brett, uh, he touched it. Yeah, he touched it, and just took his little tween arm and just <laughs> <laughs> just ripped it off. Like, and he said he could s- he could see it like sticking out of the washing machine, like all like <puff> <sniffs> it was just, like going round and round while he's like. Just, in shock, um, but it was one of the most successful reattachments of his time. Um, they reattached uh, the whole thing, so it was like this. It just it didn't grow after that. But they attached the ligaments. Uh, the elbow worked. Uh, he lost his ring and pinky finger, and they didn't. Uh, they weren't able to save the the flex muscles. So it's just like a claw, like a like an owl claw. You know, like there's no flex. There's just this. Just one move. So, um, where was I? One and a half arms. Uh, Oh, and he was the first person to call me a bitch in a good way. Um, So we're putting on Halloween makeup and I put on some black lipstick and I realized I still needed to brush my teeth. So I brushed my teeth and I went to reapply and he was like, oh my God, it didn't even rub off. You bitch. And then went right back to doing his makeup. And I was just stunned. Like, I never been really called a bitch like that. It was so special, you know? Like, people... Anytime I'd been called a bitch before that, it was, like, on the playground. Or, yeah, pretty much just hating, you know? Just straight hating. Just people, little bitch, you know, whatever. Whatever happened to come my way. But never like that and secondly he was the first adult to ever compliment my lips without sexualizing me which I thought I never really I just you don't have to be molested to know that men want to molest you when you're that age Um, and I feel like I see a lot of women kind of nodding a little bit and the thing is is that grown men will look at you like they're going to do whatever they want to you, and you can't say anything about it. And if they don't do it, you have nothing to talk about. And that was where I was at with my whole body and my face and anything about me was up for that kind of consumption. But that's not what Brett did. Brett complimented my lips and then just didn't expect anything back from me. Just, and it was almost like a slap, too, because it's like, you bitch, like, never heard anything like that before, and it was, it was just so fast, it was so fast, and it lodged so deeply in my heart, and I just, I was smiling, um, it was like the ghost of a compliment, like, (laughs) no one would have believed it was a compliment if I told them what Brett said to me, um, but it was, I mean, it was, it was a compliment. And uh, Brett was, he was good at listening. Um, he was good at listening, he would listen to my dreams about art school and, you know, we would talk about Judy Garland and makeup. And um, But he was also uh, drunk that whole time, too. So that's probably the only reason he could really listen to a 13-year-old go on and on about, like, what they want to do and take it seriously, too, and be like, yeah, everything you want to do is going to be awesome. Like, you're going to be a little wasted for that, right? So um, being that he and my mom are both alcoholics, you know, they're fun to hang out with. Um, They would just sit around and talk and talk, and that talking turned into fighting, And they would fight about dishes, or they would fight over who knew me better, which is weird. Because you're like, what? What the fuck kind of argument is that? Like, does your mother know? Yes, the stranger knows me differently than you. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, And furthermore, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter because you shouldn't use kids like that. So, like, like if you win that contest. It's already bad. You know what I mean? Um, But anyway, their fighting turned into, um, you know, just really volatile. They were both, like, very hurt people. And, um, you know, they were just waiting for the right motherfucker to say the right motherfucking thing, motherfucker. (laughs) And uh, my mom kicked him out. My mom kicked him out. Uh, And so... You know, she kicked him out of the house. And he was like... It was like the Kaiser Soze of, of like, adult figures in my life. Just like... Just like the compliment. Just gone. Like, no one would believe me. This one-and-a-half-armed man was living in my house, influencing me. Um, well, since they were old friends, my mom had another old gay friend named Ricky. And... She reached out to Ricky to talk shit about Brett, which is great. Uh, It's just so catty and immature. I love it. Um, And so Ricky was nicer. He was a nicer drunk, Um, you know, just toned down a little bit. Kind of like Brett, but like toned down a little bit, you know? Um, So we would watch movies and stuff and hang out, and Ricky would hang out with our family. um, And they would stay up and talk shit about Brett. Um, which is great. We watched uh, Reality Bites. Have you ever seen that movie? Reality Bites? Yeah. (laughs) Winona Ryder and Ethan Hawke in the 90s. It's a very important movie. Um, (laughs) Do not miss it. (laughs) It's all about relationships, man. And like coffee. It's nice. he was in that movie Ricky was in that movie as a featured extra gives oh. a shit yeah no it's cool it's cool you're in the movie great yeah look Ricky's in the movie well um Brett calls up Ricky and Ricky throws it in his face that he's been hanging out with Monica and the girls and spending time with them and you haven't cause you're a fuck up And uh, they're all bickering, and they all deserve each other. You know, they all deserve (laughs) each other, everything that they've built up. Um, So once Brett hears this news, he starts calling our house and leaving voice messages. And... um, my mom, being that she has no filter and no boundaries, we just listen to them as a family activity. Dr- <laughs> Brett's drunken voice messages. We get home from the grocery store, and we're like, ooh, a message from Brett. Let's hear it. You fucking bitch. I, did, I gave you everything. Like, we was wasted. Oh, my God, rewind it. Um, and so one of them, Brett's going, He's and he sounds like he real like he's on he's so drunk and so that old school gay like he's in his head he thinks he's like mommy dearest or something you can hear him like hissing with like a dramatic like and let me tell you something (laughs) and uh, he's going like Monica Ricky lies to you he lies to you and he doesn't know you. Like, I know you, and I used to wrap Christmas presents with you, and I don't throw stuff in people's faces. And he said he was in Reality Bites, but he wasn't. And he he <laughs> lies, Monica. He lies. And at least I don't lie to you. At least I tell you the truth. And I don't say I'm in a movie when I'm not! <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and we were like... But,
3: I don't say am in a movie,
5: but I'm in a movie, when I'm not. this has been a running joke in my family for over fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> because oh, um, this is my sh- sister, she's dying. <laughs> so I'll be on the phone with her and I'll be like, I know, and I told them it was a double charge and I told them I have a receipt and I don't say I'm in a movie, but I'm not <laughs> trying to get some celery because I'm supposed to provide snacks for the office, and I don't take my movie, not. i not! don't
0: take my movie,
5: I'm not! It's the greatest. Who gives a shit who's in Reality Bites? You guys are gonna fucking know that I'm old in Reality Bites, oh my god, you were in Reality Bites. Some lame movie about people fucking each other. Like, who cares, dude? Get over it. Um, and Brett got out of jail recently. Yeah, he, uh, Went to jail for beating up his mom with a frying pan. And um, they had a very Grey Gardens thing going. Uh, so I can see that going poorly. Um, and and you gotta remember, he has the one arm, so it's pretty fucking lit. You know? <laughs> the frying pan and one arm. That's he broke her arm. That's why I'm like, how did you? All right, I don't wanna think about it too long. <laughs> it's like weird imagery. Um but he added me on Facebook recently. Um and I just I haven't ad- you know, I haven't confirmed our friendship. I I like to keep Brett in that uh you know, where the the friend request limbo. Um I don't know what it is about not deleting it. I just I just like to keep him there, you know, where it's like it's like he knows me but um he doesn't really
2: know me at all. But Melody Shiflet, please welcome back Joe Zimmerman. Hey everyone, Melody Shiflet, one more time, give it up for her. Joey <laughs> no, in the movie, right back. Yeah, that's okay. good. Let's do it. Uh, You guys ready for your final performer of the evening? Yes yeah, good good. Uh, this guy's super very talented. one of my favorite comics here. He's awesome. open for Doug Stanhope last night. Everyone please give it up for Jay White cotton. Uh,
6: I'm gonna try and get through. I'm on a lot of painkillers and muscle relaxers so uh, uh, let's see if magic happens. I, uh, I I love storytelling shows. Uh, I, I do. It's, it's fun. It's uh, You get to explore different ideas, and maybe you guys will kind of relate to it, right? H- how's it been so far?
0: Fantastic. Great.
6: Okay. One first per- thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he speaks for all of you. Uh, everyone who is stone-faced silent, when I asked that, um, you had a fantastic time, whether your face knows it or not. Uh, <laughs> I uh, If I feel like aggressive right now uh, Just keep in mind I am white, older and male uh, And that's how we hide our insecurity So hey, hey I'm alone uh, I feel it's important uh, To be better than where you come from it, It's pretty much the arc of what I want to talk to you guys about like, like we all come from shit Historically, generations and generations The whole goal is to try and make yourselves better than the people you came from and for me growing up white trash that bar is set so low I don't have to do much like right now I got most of my teeth I'm doing okay Uh, all my front ones the back ones different situation Uh, but I got job application teeth going for me right now Uh, I I don't know how to describe my background Uh, I will say I grew up poor Uh, I grew up poorer than racism let me describe this for you Uh, I lived in a neighborhood filled with every kind of nationality you can think of, just all sharing the fact that we're poor and we have nothing. Uh, I lived amongst uh, Hispanics in San Antonio. There was a, a there was a black community there. There was Vietnamese there uh, that I, I learned karate from. I, I hope I hope that was karate. I don't know. Uh, I really don't even know. There was no belts. Uh, there was none. So we couldn't afford it. Uh, it was like a ghetto U.N., if I can describe it to you. If you don't know what it's like to grow up in poverty, it's kind of like what it's like to grow up in a in a neighborhood filled with uh, hipsters and gentrifiers. Uh, it's all PBR. It's all thrift store shit. And uh, there's there's chickens for some fucking reason. Uh, that's the cultural appropriation I'm more upset about. Poor people's stuff. I, uh... I grew up around – there's a lot of life in, in, uh, in shitty areas, uh, and I realized why. Like, if you notice, poor people have the most kids. They have the most pets. They have ferrets for some reason. Uh, they watch Beastmaster, and they're like, fuck it, I'm getting some ferrets uh, that stink up the place. Uh, th- I figured out why. It's because when you're that poor, you, no one wants to do it alone. That's why they have a lot of kids. They just – they're, it's a lotto system for poor people. We want as many kids as possible that one of them makes it and can take care of the rest and that's our like social security. Uh, I, uh, I I tried to leave. Uh, the last the last time I was in my old neighborhood, I, uh, I hit a rooster and it, it pissed me off. It lived, it was mean. Uh, I hit it in my truck and I was mad that I hit it but I was also mad that the, I knew the people that owned this rooster, they didn't have any hens. They just had a fucking rooster and they were meth heads. There was no reason for them to have... Like, a rooster's job is to impregnate hens and to wake you up at 5 o'clock in the morning to farm. These are meth addicts. They're doing none of this shit. (laughs) They didn't have jobs. They didn't need to wake up at the crack of the dawn to get their crack on, is what I'm trying to explain. Uh, I, uh, I, I could never sleep because of that goddamn rooster. Uh... Because it would always wake me up right when I was trying to pass out. And in the the middle of the night, I lived in this area. There was a lot of cats in heat because that's also a very poor people thing. Uh, Well, everything's pregnant in that area. It's very fertile. And I don't know if you guys know this, but cats can only get laid at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's it. (laughs) That's the only time. It's when you're trying to sleep, and right outside your window, it would just be this horny pussycat grotto of slut cats just mixing up the litter. They can have more than one baby daddy. It's like actual thing. It's the most. It's so moary. It's it's fantastic. But it's not many times we're trying to sleep and you hear that meow over and over. That incessant, like what's that? It's the. That's the only way I can translate it. It's like yes, bitch. Like it's the same. Yes, queen. It's what it sounds like in my head. All night, I, I never slept. I kept trying to dream up ways to find a way to get that rooster to fuck the cat. Uh,
0: <laughs>
6: which might be the only way to make kittens more adorable is if they hatch. That might be the only way. <laughs> or omelets more depressing. I haven't figured out which. <laughs> 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 Son no. uh, I had a, I had, a, I had a weird mix of like, I, I don't want to go up here and complain too, because that's a never trophic comedy. I get annoyed at, it. like, uh, I feel like you should own your ideas. You don't want to let the past own you, like. uh, like, I have a lot of friends who are, who are, who are shitty people. Uh, I, you, you have friends who are shitty. You know that guy that, like, has deadbeat parents, and then they, bl- they blame all their problems on their deadbeat dad because he wasn't there for them, right? They don't take responsibility for their own problems. They're like, no, it's my deadbeat dad's fault. He wasn't there to guide me in my life. He was just a drunk, alcoholic, abusive. He was never around. And I'm like, really? Is that a violent sociopath? Is this the guy you needed hanging around your house? Now, growing up, me and my brother, we had that dad. Unfortunately, he was always home beating us. <laughs> we used to dream about having a deadbeat dad. <laughs> Those kids were typically like raised by their grandparents. If you were raised by your grandparents, it's always because you had shitty parents. Nine times out of ten. <laughs> Which I've never understood that logic, why the state would make you live with your grandparents. These are the people most responsible for your shitty parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one hit home, alright. <laughs> 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 heard <it> ha!
0: <laughs> Nana, no! <laughs>
6: <laughs> oh man. I, I was stuck by my parents, man. They uh they're drug addict nerds, man. Uh I don't You might have it's 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 in vogue now, so maybe the two worlds are coming together, but for me it was like this this seventies world where they would watch the Hobbit cartoon and then smoke meth and play dozens of dragons with all their crack friends uh that own roosters and shit. Uh <laughs> You know how awkward it is to wake up at three o'clock in the morning because there's there's monsters underneath your parents' bed. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? These people are just totally irresponsible. They would uh they would do they would just have drugs openly all over the house. I like I'm not I don't do shit like just muscle relaxers and painkillers recreationally. It's just for fun. Um, <laughs> they uh they would they like they would do lines on top of CCR albums and then tell me I can grow up to be anything I want to be. Uh, <laughs> we all knew that was a lie. Uh, they would uh, they would leave they would leave cocaine on top of my Nintendo uh, I was the only kid who could play Super Mario without the game being on <laughs> all right I took a chance of a joke sorry <laughs> I'll stick to the narrative I try to lighten it up sometimes people are like why are you telling us sad things it's like I don't know I have nothing else <laughs> uh, <laughs> there we, we we grew up we stole we stole corn that's um, weird to say I don't want not, like, cans from H-E-B. We stole off the cob, like, husks. My dad would, like, get drunk and drive wearing a serapi, fucking rolling off into the... He was very awful. Uh, he would come out of cornfields, like, with, like, hand-filled of corn and then throw change on the ground for the migrant Hispanic workers because we're proud people. Uh, it's a very beautiful mix of racism. You understand what I'm telling you? Like, Like, he... My parents were so fucking racist. My whole family was so hateful uh, of everyone, which is kind of weird because we all lived together, but it made him feel like it validated having racism. Like, my dad was the kind of white dude that loved saying the N-word, especially because he knew one. That was, that was his way of making it say it was okay. My uncle was worse. My uncle was a racist, fucking terrible. He refused to eat ethnic food. Do you understand the commitment to hate you have to be oh to pass by Taco Cabana, Taco Bell, uh, Olive Garden, like Red Lobster for completely different reasons? Like, to, to like the most limited of fucking diets possible. We we got mad. We took him to a Chinese buffet just to like get him over this. It's like, dude, you're gonna have to eat something different. So we figured this is the way. He cooked, he showed he had a plate of like tapioca pudding and chicken nuggets. If you've ever wondered why Chinese buffets have chicken nuggets and tapioca pudding, it's for racists. That's why it's there. That's how they can see it. We got we, we didn't let him eat it. We took it. We we're like, all right, we're making you a plate, dude. We made him a plate, and he just stared at it like it was stealing jobs away from American food. He's furious. The waitress asked him what she what he wanted to drink. He ordered ranch dressing. <laughs> and she stared at him in Chinese. I don't know what that means,
0: but it was furious.
6: It was not happy. She showed up in the most passive aggressive waitress mood I- I've ever seen. She took the ranch and she just, uh, the entire jug, it was a jug of ranch, an industrial sized jug of ranch, plopped it on there and like gave a hump, and then walked off chattering some shit. And then he took it and then just, d- he, he didn't even phase him. He was like, yeah, that's what I wanted. And then doused his entire plate in this disgusting milky white ranch dressing. And that's when I realized something. Ranch dressing is what white trash put on food. They don't understand. It is the ethnic cleanser of condiments. Uh, he's staring at a dish. He's like, "What's that, General So? Chicken? Bullshit! Now it's General Lee." And then he just went to town.
0: <laughs>
6: I uh, I don't know where all of this is going. Uh, I uh, fuck. Do I want to go? All right. All right. I uh, my parents were bad people. My dad. Uh, The the way I try to talk to people about it, I just give it to you straight, is like I'm pretty much the product of a paranoid schizophrenic mother who thought aliens came down with Prince Charles and impregnated her for the KGB. Uh, My dad was an abusive alcoholic. He used to beat us in the middle of the night and constantly shit himself because he developed a special type of neuropathy where he lost the ability to tell the difference between a shit and a fart. So he would just crap his pants all the time. And uh, my brother was in and out of jail most of his life possibly because when he was 10 years old mom made him shoot a guy in the head over a bad crack deal. <laughs> Bananas, I know. Uh, oh, oh. That's literally the reaction I'm used to on this bit. <laughs> Except comics. Comics are usually the ones are like, damn, Jay, why don't you do more family material? <laughs> I, uh, it is true. Like, uh, like my dad was like very abusive, but he did. He developed a neuropathy. I, I might have it someday soon. I, I, I stopped drinking because of the fear of it, but he drank so much that he could no longer tell when he was going to shit and when he was going to fart. Now, most of you people, if you had this condition, I'm assuming you wouldn't take a chance, <laughs> right? You feel that pressure? You're Like oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I don't have to. You know. I'm going to play my card straight. You know? Not my father. My father was a gambling man. <laughs> so in mid-conversation, you would just see this tick in his head and be like, oh, maybe it's shit, maybe it's a fart. We're going to find out. <laughs> oh, shit, my pants. And they waddle away as two little brown nuggets hustled and gruntling their way out of his pant legs. <laughs> Called it a shit fart separator. It was always broken. It uh, was <laughs> a running gag in our family. It really like, we could see Dad waddling away. He like, oh, Dad shit himself again. All right, here we go guess i have that to look forward to when i get older that's fun <laughs> that's what sucks having parents like like i have, I have friends who were adopted and they they, they they said that was the worst moment of life finding out they are adopted my worst moment was finding out i wasn't adopted It <laughs> was a chance my, my mom slept around It was possibility i uh i uh he did beat us a lot uh and i this might make you uncomfortable if this is triggering for anybody like uh good uh, let's deal with it let's have fun i uh no, I don't want you to suffer. It's just like he would beat us for no fucking reason whatsoever. Like like uh, 3 o'clock, he would wake us up. Have you ever woken up to the sound of your own screams? Does that sound funny to you guys? I don't know. <laughs> he would take it out on my brother first. If you're laughing back there, I fucking love you. If you're crying, I'm going to hug you after the show. <laughs> if you're hiding your laughter, please let it out because they're uncomfortable. <laughs> he would beat up my brother first and I'd hear him crying so I'd hide it under my bed and then he would come in and take it out on my Care Bears <laughs> oh it's great have you ever seen an old man lose himself in a Care Bears just staring at it, like what have I done to my baby boy his little heart's coming out of his chest like, shaped like a shamrock he wasn't lucky at all I, uh, I Uh, mom mom, I I wasn't lying, mom was a paranoid schizophrenic she was fucking nuts Uh, she had multiple personalities, not one I could call mother and
4: uh, hey uh,
6: (laughs) when I was 12 uh, we had to institutionalize her in a mental hospital because she left my dad to marry this uh, uh, so ironic, she married this guy who exclusively robbed Chinese buffets (laughs) they would do a lot of meth and then like go down and he took a fork he robbed Chinese buffets with a fork the one below his apartment. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? He got a fork, he figured, no, all these fuckers have chopsticks, and used his racism <laughs> to rob him. So he could buy my mom flowers and go to jail, I guess. Uh, she was nuts. We had an institution. The state tied her tubes because she kept having babies and blaming it on the KGB. Like, that's a real thing that happens to people. They will tie your tubes if you keep having babies. It's fucking insane. We uh, we tried to visit her. <laughs> It, it, it kind of worked out well Because the last time I saw her She seemed like she, was, she found herself better Like she, uh, she found Jesus uh, Not spiritually She found a dude who thought he was Jesus <laughs> And then she fucked him uh, My mom fucked Jesus <laughs> Do you feel this weird tension right now? That's the sound of a 12 year old Becoming an atheist
0: <laughs>
6: I remember when I went to see her In the mental hospital uh, I was 13, it was the last time I ever saw her uh, we uh, it was me and my brother. My brother was a hardcore gang member at that time. My brother, uh, we're very proud of him. He uh, he joined the Latin Kings. Um, we're not Latin. <laughs>
0: I don't
6: know if I can convey as much mightiness to you guys. Do you know how violent you have to be to break the color barrier in gangs? <laughs> If you've ever seen that one white dude in gang, that's like, like, just like he's the craziest fucking person there because he does have the privilege enough to possibly get away with it, and he's got something to prove. That was my brother. My brother was a shitty fucking criminal. He would rob pizza delivery drivers, um, and they get surprised when the cops would show up to arrest him after giving a pizza delivery driver the address and credit card and name information. That's how <laughs> fucking dumb he was. When he, one of the times he was out of jail. <laughs> My, uh, my aunt who I hadn't seen in years decided to take us to the mental hospital and uh, that's, uh, that was a trip for me I, I've, never, I, I've had counselors but I always kind of really pissed them off because uh, uh, I've never talked about this and I apologize if I'm, if I'm being clumsy on this it's a, it's a weird thing to say but growing up poor and white trash I had actually brilliant parents like I'm describing horrible stupid people to you because they were stupid but they were also brilliant that's, that's why I don't value intelligence there's a lot of smart people you might know in your lives that are just dumb motherfuckers. You know, I bet you know smart people that thought Trump was a good idea. Yeah, do you feel that? Isn't it a waste of book reading? That was kind of my parents. Like they were both crazy and and, and dumb, but like they just didn't have life practicalness. So I remember. Uh, Growing up, my mom would try to make me a super child. She spoke five languages. She was teaching me uh, Russian and Japanese. My first book that I read, I read as a kid, she taught me how to read Canterbury Tales uh, by Chaucer. Uh, If you don't know anything about Canterbury Tales, uh, that that means you're living a progressive life moving forward. Uh, (laughs) It's in old English that predates Shakespeare. Do you understand what I'm saying? My first language was shitty-ass, old, nerd, renaissance fair... How did I not get my ass kicked every day? I did. Um, they tried to make me into super chats. They would try and teach me the language and stuff like that. So I've always had kind of a loneliness and a self-awareness about it. So I remember at 13, I had the hitness to be able to, like, all right, my mom's crazy. Let's just go deal with this. It didn't emotionally hit me. I didn't feel like I had a mother. It just felt like a person that was going through some pain. And I remember when I met her, she was like, she had like long straggly. Her, her hair was blonde for some reason. She's, she grew up very beautiful. Uh, but she, just the the mental fatigue and deterioration in the teeth it was awful uh, her roommate was this lesbian Indian woman who thought she was Geronimo and she kept offering me candy corn I was like fuck that that's disgusting uh, the candy corn not her lifestyle relax uh, the, uh, we, I remember talking to her and that's when all the shit about the KGB came out and she was like she tried to join the KGB and they wouldn't have her so she tried to join the CIA and they are like you're so so crazy uh, and then she would just make up these fantastical lives about being a general admiral flight attendant with uh, German uh, Bolivian children it's, it's fucking weird uh, but as she's describing the story to me I remember thinking like wow that's hilarious uh, it's sad but it's also really imaginative that's I'll go with you on this trip. I'm not going to judge. Uh, my brother is in a Miami Hurricane starter jacket that was real popular amongst the murderers. Uh, uh, my great aunt is crying, and I'm just like, "This is fantastic! Aliens came down with British royalty. That's so fucking weird." All right. I, I, I didn't know anything about mental. Uh, uh, I didn't know anything about schizophrenia at all. I, I was uh, I wasn't that smart. I was 13, so I went to the doctor and I asked him. I, I go, "Why? What? What, what the fuck?" <laughs> how did, is this going to get better like I'll, I'm looking for positive solutions how are you treating this what are you doing to make your life better and he goes well, well son uh, 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 well she is showing signs of improvement I'm like alright <laughs> wow she goes well the aliens in our psychosis dreams are being a lot friendlier <laughs> uh, i you've never heard fuck you come out of a 13 year old's lips so fast in your life I was furious I was like what the fuck are you diagnosing her or the aliens do you write for (laughs) you write for like some sci-fi journal and you're just you're waiting for your screenplay to hit so you're just taking notes from old crazy Macbeth over there what the fuck what I'm saying is you want to be better than where you come from and I don't know if that's exactly how I want to close this Uh, I I I uh, I, I, there's just not a lot of time uh, to go into why it was okay that I stole that car.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jay Wycon, everyone. live here one more time. Hey, did you guys have fun tonight? Yeah. Awesome, good. Uh, this was actually the one year anniversary of this show. Oh. Yeah. yeah! Keep on chucking, baby. Uh, This happens the second Saturday of every month. Feel free to give us a like on Facebook, check us out on iTunes, subscribe, listen to all the past shows that you haven't heard. Uh, It's all free to hang out. There's a little coffee filter shaped thing by the door on a table there for donations. It helps us keep the podcast going. So if you've got some loose change to throw it in there, you know, maybe get some scratches some of these performers hanging out and just keep the podcast going. Uh, Because how much did you pay to come hang out? 3 399 ninety nine. That's what's up. Yeah, just uh, it's a it's a free fun time, and I hope to see your brilliant faces the next second Saturday there in November. Um, we also just do regular stand up comedy the final uh, Saturday of every single month here at Genuine Joe's. So thank you guys so much for coming out to the listening room, keep the episodes online. I'm Joey Zimmerman. Thank you guys so much. Have a good night.
1: International